It's episode 110 of Leading Ladies of Corpus Christi, and I'm sitting in a Zoom meeting with my first ever co-host, Emily Barrera Luce, as she introduces me to her best friend since for how long? Oh, gosh, since we were 15, and we're 31 now, so. Yeah, since they were 15, her name is Courtney Sanchez. She is the Director of Behavioral Health Services or Services Outreach at Bayview Behavioral Hospital here in Corpus Christi. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, Emily reached out and, and said, hey, I have somebody that I think would be perfect. And as soon as she told me who you were and what you did, I was like, yes, please, I'd love to have her on. And it's a perfect opportunity to have Emily co-host. <laughs> well, no, it was <laughs> it was my birthday and uh, my husband and I were having dinner in in Port Aransas and she texted me and she said, hey, can you talk? And I was like, uh, well, we're kind of doing dinner right now. She's like, well, don't be mad at me. I did a thing. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she said, well, I, I nominated you to talk on this podcast. And I'm like, what, Emily? She's like, no, I think you'll be perfect for it. It's called Leading Ladies of Corpus Christi. And I said, oh, I'm in. I'm in. Whatever it is, I'm in. I don't care what we're talking about. I, I'm all for it. <laughs> oh, well, we're talking all about you, girl. So you guys, y'all grew up. Are, are you from Rockport? Yes. Okay. So what was it like growing up there? Well, uh, you know, if it, this sounds really just uh, uh, just silly, but I'm fourth generation Rockport and I, I'm so proud of it. And Emily, if, if she'll tell you anything, Emma, I don't want to step on your toes, but where are you from? I'm from Fulton. <laughs> <laughs> Different place. <laughs> Is it though? <laughs> well, yeah. depends on who you ask. <laughs> exactly. Different so, names. Uh, different mayor. <laughs> so yeah, Fulton. Fulton has Fulton Oyster Fest, and uh, Mayor Russell Cole, previous Mayor Russell Cole, and current Mayor Kelly Cole, and uh, they were, you know, my surrogate parents growing up. And I don't know. It's just. I feel like what we have is such a such a niche. It doesn't it doesn't happen all the time and it's not it's not common. You know, Emily and I are still best friends and we're, you know, in our in the late stage or mid stages of our life, not late stages of our life. But, you know, we're past high school, we're past college and um we're still so close with each other and that's what makes Rockport Fulton so special. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know that small town feel and I mean Emily might be able to articulate it better than I can uh, but it's something I'm always so proud of and just you know working in Corpus you know they laugh and they're like oh here she is Rockport she's going to tell us all about how great Rockport is and I just I believe in our community so much and just what we grew up with was so special I want everybody to have that don't you don't you agree Em? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I first met Courtney, we were getting into high school, and that's already scary enough. And, <laughs> and you know, I was forced to do stuff with, you know, in school. And Courtney was like a ray of sunshine on my cloudy day. I was just terrified of everything. <laughs> and, and Courtney <laughs> was just this outspoken, crazy person that... But I, I just, I couldn't believe I didn't meet her before. It was just one of those strange things where it's like, where have you been all of my life? 
Uh, please don't ever leave. <laughs> and she never will. No, I love stories like that because oftentimes people kind of have the same peer group, you know, moving on, especially being in smaller towns like the ones y'all were in. So for you guys to develop a friendship in high school and one that was such long lasting makes me happy. I love hearing stories like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Courtney. I mean, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I mean, it's it's been fun. It's um one of our favorite stories to tell is how we met each other. It was for a dance team tryouts and you know how, how I told the story to her initially. And of course she's put, put a, my personality spin on it that maybe I didn't see at the time, but you know, I'm staring at her with my arms crossed. I'm like, who is this girl with this jean jacket? And she had this jean jacket and I loved it, but I was mad at her for it. You know, I just, I wanted that jean jacket. And who's this girl that has this jean jacket that comes in here and she's such a good dancer already. <laughs> and I went up with this straight posture and, and I was like, I was terrified. I didn't see anything. You dance? That's a whole other story. You dance? What? Oh, we did. We danced together in high school and in college. Okay. That's a cool story. <laughs> I had no really I had no idea y'all danced we yeah did. And I don't yeah. know how we made it because freshman year we were pretty rough but it was, bad. <laughs> it was real bad but uh second year we got free uh ballet classes with Miss Sulik Miss Nancy Sulik she's an angel yeah and we we got a lot better after that um but yeah Courtney always talks about her seeing me first and how she was like, who's this person? Who does she think she is? <laughs> I was like, I remember the first time I saw Courtney, it was after we made the tryouts. And I had to go to some silly sleepover and I was terrified. And <laughs> I remember late at night, it was like a group of people and I couldn't see anybody, but I could see Courtney because she has these like massive eyes. And I'm like, why are they sneaking in? What are they up to? <laughs> And they like started spraying people with I'm assuming shaving cream. It was And I remember just like hiding. I was like, Don't touch me. And I was like, This these people are crazy. What did I get myself into? But first day of school, I saw her in class and then we were stuck together ever since. So really important question. Rockport kids and Fulton kids went to the same high school? Yes. Yeah, and Holiday Beach. So that's the that's the rub, right? You know, everybody who lives in Lamar and, and Holiday Beach and Fulton, it's you consolidate it all and you say Rockport, but really you mean Rockport, Fulton slash Lamar slash Holiday Beach slash. See, I didn't know those other ones. Yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. It was so uh, even more diverse than just Rockport, Fulton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Goes to show how much I know. It's called the Ramses County ISD, and I, I guess that was too. That wasn't specific enough to Rockport. <laughs> I yeah, I mean Rockport Fulton is the extent of my knowledge of like what's included in that area, and so, Courtney, did you already have an idea that you wanted to kind of head into you know the medical field in the sense that of where you are now, or were you still did you have something else in mind at the time? You, you know, I did. And it's funny, um, 
if you would have asked me in middle school or anything, I would, I would have told you I had no idea. But by the time I was about a junior in high school, I knew that I wanted to work with um, specifically at-risk youth. Like that was, that was kind of what I was passionate about, ironically, as a, a youth myself. And so, um, so that's what I, I went to school for psychology and that's what I got my bachelor's in. And, um, you know, I have, I come from a long line of bankers and, um, my grandfather is, a, I mean, he's, he's my North star, you know, he, he, him and my parents instill all of my values that I have in my, my core compass. And, um, I know this sounds like I'm diverting, but it comes back. <laughs> no, I love diversions. <laughs> so, so he he always told me, you know, 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 know your people. You know, no matter no matter what you do, you know, know know the customer, and the customer is what is valued most in banking. And so that's where I worked. I worked uh, at in a bank, um, getting my undergrad degree, and so. I always had that at heart and I knew my customer and I actually ended up working best with the most difficult customers. And, um, wow. you know, they always, uh, the, the people at the bank always joked with me. They're like, whoever's mad, send, send them down to Courtney because she'll diffuse the situation. She'll make it better. And not even by, by saying like, you know, we'll, we'll reverse everything or we'll give you anything free, but just talking to them. And that was kind of what I was good at but also remembering what people liked. And so I wasn't a commercial teller, but there was this one commercial account. And I can tell you now to this day, you know, he, he had three carbon copies, he, the white, the, <laughs> the, the yellow, the blue and the pink. And he wanted, you know, the white copy stapled upside down on the left-hand corner on the yellow copy. Wow. <laughs> that's how he looked everything. And he would be kind of annoyed on Fridays when he'd come in. He's like, no one can ever remember how I want my copies, but I remembered. And so he'd wait for me. And so this goes on for about four years or so while I'm working at the bank. And uh, finally I graduate and he says, Courtney, what do you want to do? And I said, I, you know, I want to work at the behavioral hospital in Corpus, but I never got a chance to do internships because I worked full time and I went to school full time and there was never any time for that. And so he said, really? He said, well, give me a post-it note. So I gave him a note and he writes down a name and a number and that's it. And he passes it to me and he says, call that number on Monday. And I said, okay, kind of thinking, sure thing, sure thing, boss. <laughs> so Monday on my lunch break, I call this number and it's uh, the clinical director of the hospital at Bayview. And uh, she said, oh yes, you come, highly recommended. And uh, it turns out that that gentleman was the father-in-law of the clinical director. And it was uh, based on pure, <laughs> just pure, like me doing his receipts a certain way for four years that, you know, and then, you know, of course, conversing with him and all the things. And um, that's how I got my job at the hospital. I had no experience <laughs> other than a psych degree, which we all know, you know, degrees, degrees are great but you need more than that and um i i credit i credit my grandfather to, to getting my job because you know he was so adamant about knowing your customers and what they want and uh, that's what i did and that's how i got my job as a tech on the child unit 
at the behavioral hospital. <laughs> okay, so a couple of things here, because this is actually a really incredible story. So one thing, of course, shout out to your grandfather for sure, because he had the right mindset to be an, ex an excellent uh, customer service rep representative. But second of all, we have to give you a shout out because you not only did you take his advice, you took it and implemented it. I mean, to a massive degree, because I've been in customer service a time or two. I mean, nobody wants to deal with the picky customers, the difficult customers, you know, but you took it and turned it into, I mean, I don't think you were thinking of it in terms of benefiting you, but you turned oh. it into a situation where ultimately everybody got something out of it. That's huge. Have you always been that way? I, I think it's more of that I want to I, I want to help them and because you know I try to be light and airy and sunshine and <laughs> everything but whenever someone is is having a tough time um, you know whether it's in my job now or if you rewind to 10 years ago uh, working at the bank, I you you never want anybody to be in a state of distress, and so I always took that on kind of as a as a personal problem or a personal endeavor to where how can we fix this? Let's make this work. And and a lot of times you'll find that all it takes is to acknowledge someone's discomfort and to say I understand that you're upset about this, or I understand that this happened, and. Nine times out of ten, that really diffuses the situation by half, almost automatically. And so, um, even uh, which even before school, but really while I was in college, you know, I, I I loved all of my psychology classes, and so I I took some of that into practice, you know, working at the bank, and um, I I think that that's what made me so successful in in being a people person and having a. You know, I, I feel that I have a high degree of emotional intelligence to, to say, to read a room and to say, uh, you know, how can we e either A, make you feel better or B, defuse the situation? No, I definitely think that's a superpower when people have emotional intelligence because it can be alarming how many people are lacking it. Like to what you and me and Emily might seem like a really obvious social clue or and they uh -huh. just don't pick up on it. So, yeah, that's definitely a superpower. So what was your first position? You mentioned it quickly, but I didn't catch it. What was the, the position you got hired on as at the hospital? So I started as the child technician at the hospital. And uh, the child age range um, back then was uh, kind of four to ten-ish. And so uh, which I worked really well with because you think of kind of kindergarten teacher and uh, – <laughs> You know, they they voted well with my personality. <laughs> um, but I I mean, still to this day, that's probably some of the most rewarding work I've ever had because it's that day to day patient contact face to face. And uh, you don't always see that you're changing lives or making a difference but you feel it at the end and you know that you know that you're there for someone and and maybe you're a guiding light that they didn't have or you know really anything of it that falls into that realm it 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 was so special so special to do that yeah especially starting with the young one so is that the youngest age group that would be that you guys would take in so back then, yes, um, we took four and older. Now we, our youngest is 10. 
um, at the hospital. And so the closest, unfortunately, that you can go to for um, inpatient treatment before a child is San Antonio. Okay. If they're under the age of 10. Yeah. Okay. And so what would your job entail at the time? So like the first job, the first position you had there. So what, what would be like a normal day for you, uh, in that position? So at that time, um, you, I was kind of on a nursing matrix where, or on a nursing schedule to where you did 12 hours days. So I did uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 7A to 7P. And, um, you know, you think about it, that's a really long day with the same group of kids and the same staff and everything. But, you know, we have such an amazing team. Like I, I'm so proud of the company that I work for and just so, uh, emotionally invested in our team. It's, it, it made it all worthwhile, you know? Uh, so the day to day the every, every minute was scheduled, you know, cause, uh, if you go back to the old, old adage, is it adage or I think so. Is that yeah. The correct type of phrase? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you go back to that, you know, the, the idle hands are the devil's workshop. And so we had every moment scheduled and there was be uh, a goals group in the beginning of the day, as soon as they woke up. And so that's kind of your, your setting your intentions on, you know, how today is going to go for you. And then we have, of course, um, art therapy, you know, activity therapy. We have a pool on our campus. They go off off the unit for lunch, and we have individual therapy and group therapy and the family therapy. And wow, um, yeah. So it's it's a really jam packed day of doing everything you can because it, it's an intensive unit. It's acute therapy, and so it's kind of fast and furious, but it helps you stabilize whatever needs to happen. And then from there you, you flesh out on what the, uh, post-treatment options are. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, that just sounds, I feel like that kind of structure is important for somebody who's maybe, you know, not feeling a hundred percent their best and, and needing to utilize y'all services. Um, and I think it gives them a sense of purpose, especially starting off with the goal setting, like you had mentioned. So whenever you were in college, you immediately knew that you wanted to go work specifically for the behavioral hospital. Because I know people who have similar backgrounds as you being like, I want to go work for a nonprofit or something like that. So why the uh, specifically the behavioral hospital? You know, I, I can't I can't really pinpoint it. And I think it's because, I mean, if I'm guessing, I think it's because I knew that the hospital existed and, uh, you know, I knew that people were sent there and I, I just, I, I don't know what it was. It was just this pool where I had to go work there and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And so you know, going into, I, I actually, I started out my career in college as a med surge student. And I think I made it, what, Emily, like uh, two weeks. <laughs> and I was like, oh, turns out blood is not for me. Same. <laughs> so <laughs> so the, the quickest thing I could think of that made sense uh, to go along with that was a psychology degree, which, um, you know, not that I'm terribly old, but I felt like back then nobody really told you like, Hey, 
if you get a psychology degree, you have to get a master's because there's not really, there's not, there's not a lot of opportunities there. I was told that. Yeah. Very specific. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No one told me that. And so I was like, I'm doing a psychology degree (laughs) thinking I'd be done after four years. And then, but luckily, you know, the way my drive goes, my internal drive, I, I like to go above and beyond and I'm always kind of moving and grooving and, and trying to reach for the stars. So it worked out, but, um, I love that. Cause yeah, just because there's a, like a set, Oh, this is the path you need to take because this, you know, most people have gone this way and been successful. doesn't mean you necessarily have to clearly, I mean, you right. ended up getting yeah. your master's anyway, but I mean, not before getting into the place you wanted to work and utilizing your, your bachelor's degree. Exactly. Exactly. Like it, it totally, it rang true. Um, divine intervention or, you know, however you see it, it, it made sense. And I was, I was, I was where I was meant to be at that time. Absolutely. No, it, it, it all worked out. Well, so actually, so people listening to this, you won't hear the, we lost Courtney for a little bit. We're going to edit that out. But, uh, <laughs> And Courtney, uh, not Courtney, Emily and I were talking and uh, Emily goes, man, that's a hell of a job interview. And I was like, yeah, it was like a four year job interview. But I mean, ultimately <laughs> it paid off, you know, I mean, you didn't know it was an interview, but ultimately it paid off. I, those are some of my favorite stories. And so how long were you in your entry level position before you ended up moving up? Because you're now the director of BHS, which is incredible. Yes. So I went, I, I worked on the child unit as a tech, um, for about two years and, um, and then I went into discharge planning and that's where I got to kind of do the whole post wellness, um, all the discharge appointments and everything for all the patients in the whole hospital. And I was the one person to do that, which was really rewarding and really busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it opened up an, an entire new, um, uh, an entire new realm for me because I got to work with the doctors and you got to be in the treatment team meetings. And I was with the nursing staff and people relied on me to have my work done, my documents done and completed before a patient could leave the hospital. And so that was just a, a whole new endeavor. And, um, that's when I really found that, you know, I liked a certain rhythm and groove of work and versus I missed the day-to-day patient contact, but I really enjoyed the, the, the deadlines and the regimen, you know, if that makes sense. For sure. Yeah. So do you feel that, you know, you did develop some lasting relationships with patients in terms of like being almost like a mentor or do they discourage that kind of thing? How how does that work? So I would never really know post hospitalization. Yeah. If anybody um, felt that I had a lasting impression on them, but I still have a few cards that people made for me and like uh, little pictures that uh, were really special because uh, you, you know, every child is different and everybody deals with trauma and their, you know, whatever their issues are differently. But, uh, for, for you to have a, a, a kid or an adolescent come in, who's not willing to speak to anybody, not to say a single word. And then for them to write you a card, you know, that's, 
that's a big deal. That's a, that's a huge, huge step for them. And so those are things that I have that are special to me that I've kept because I just felt like they were, um, a leap of faith, mainly on their end. And, uh, those yeah, are things I'll probably have forever. <laughs> yeah, that's, a. I, I can't imagine, you know, you know what some of these people have been through. And and again, at first you were mostly working with, with the younger kids, four to 10, because you guys take in all the way up to, uh, seniors, right? And by seniors, I mean, senior citizens. Correct. Yeah. Oh. I, I always, uh, I always say 10 to 99, you know, <laughs> which 99 is not a cutoff, but you know, <laughs> 99 plus. <laughs> right. And so could you maybe go into a little bit more detail about what services the behavioral hospital offers and, and, um, you know, if people were experiencing certain, you know, experiences, what, how they would benefit by going there? Sure, sure. So, I mean, we really offer the full continuum of care. We have the inpatient treatment and then the outpatient treatment. And, and it's so, it's so unfortunate that still that we're in 2020 and, um, everyone is still so afraid to talk about mental health Yes, and, you know, and for different families, it means different things. And we are very sensitive to that. You know, we try to, to tread lightly or, you know, be more assertive when we need to be, you know, depending on the situation, but, um, at the end of the day, the, our, our cut and dry services are that we offer inpatient psychiatric treatment for ages 10 and older. And we have specific units depending on um, specific ailments, you know, whether it's um, mood disorders, you know, severe depression, things of that nature, or, you know, thought disorders where, you know, someone who's, who's experiencing onset of onset of schizophrenia or, you know, in the throes of, of it and off their medication. And then geriatric disorders are um, kind of all encompassing, you know, it could be different things, uh, whether it's a, a UTI or, you know, just uh, undiagnosed medical issues that they're, that are just now manifesting kind of thing. And then our outpatient services are, they, those are what's really special and are quote less scary because um, you have to go home at the end of every day and we have a full day program and a half day program and we have an, even an evening program for chemical dependency or substance abusers. And so, um, you know, we always kind of say at the hospital, like e even on your worst days, anybody is a candidate for outpatient therapy. And, uh, you know, because life's not perfect and, uh, you know, anybody could come into that if they wanted to. And, and what that gives is, again, either full day or half day, whatever your schedule will allow or whatever your diagnosis is, you can come in and you can have group therapy, you have individual therapy, um, you have that fellowship of being in a group of people who are, you know, uh, dealing with the same issues that you are, and then you also get to see a psychiatrist, and so you have that medication management as well. Wow. So you're saying, you know, somebody who's maybe never been clinically diagnosed before could look into those outpatient programs? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can walk in our front door and say, I, I want to go to outpatient, and we'll sign you up. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why I thought it was almost like a what do you call it? Like you guys were like specialists, right? So you had to go to a general practitioner and forgive me for using like the most basic of terms, but general <laughs> practitioner who'd be like, Oh, okay. You need to go to Bayview and, and check it out. They're a specialist. 
No, yeah, we're non-referral based. It's just, um, you know, what what you feel like you need. And, and the beauty of our system is also that we're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, holidays, weekends, everything. If you just want an assessment and that's a, uh, that's, that's not holding to anything to you. That's absolutely free. That's not saying you have to do anything. You don't have to go to any program. You can come in and have a psychological assessment or behavioral health assessment and um, kind of just see where you stand. And we can give you a recommendation. And if you want to take it, you can take it or we can give you, you know, additional outpatient recommendations, you know, ones for the community that maybe fit your needs better. You know, we have all of those services available. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I had no idea. So that's actually some very, very helpful information. Because like you said, I mean, there is so much, even like you said, in 2020, stigma around talking about mental health. And so what do you because you know, you're you're living it every day. What do you are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have, you know, about having mental health disease? So uh, the the biggest things that we that we see on a day to day is that if you talk about it, it makes it happen, you know, and, and we know if you really think about it, that, that that's not true. You know, if you, if you're having thoughts of whether they're as extreme as hurting yourself or, you know, whatever, whatever the case is, talking about it does not make it worse it shines a light on the darkness and the darkness is what makes things quote scary or you know gives it that stigma gives it a power really and so that's the biggest thing we see you know people coming in they they don't want to talk about anything and uh, you know that's of course as we know the biggest part of therapy is is talking about it because it it shines a light on it and and don't get me wrong it's it's painful sometimes you know it's not it's not anything that's enjoyable to do, but also it brings you out of the darkness and that pain that you might be experiencing due to whatever's happened in your life. And I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and it, it, sometimes it's just hard, even, you know, just people living their day-to-day lives, going to work, living with their family. I mean, even talking about, because we all have intrusive thoughts. And I mean, even acknowledging that, you know, to your peer group or to your family can even be challenging. So I can't imagine, you know, people dealing with some legitimate, you know, trauma and, and, um, you know, dark thoughts. Once you verbalize it, you know, you, you can't help feeling like it becomes more real, but I guess it also, you know, takes the charge away. Like you said, Mm -hmm. it it gets rid of, it, it makes it less powerful. And so, especially now, I mean, 2020 has just been a wild year. How has that changed how you guys are interacting with patients? I mean, even each other, staff, day to day. Oh, my gosh. So it's completely opened the doors for us, just blown and wide open. You know, telehealth and telepsychiatry was always a thing before COVID. But it was um, it was just not used. It's not it was wasn't the common base. And so now with COVID and people being at home, you know, you can imagine um, if you have a certain diagnosis or certain stressors, you know, either being at home is really great for you or it's really not. And so telehealth and telepsychiatry has really opened the doors to to 
get in those people's homes, whether it's from their laptop or their cell phone. I mean, it, it couldn't be easier now to talk to someone and to develop coping skills because maybe the coping skills you had before COVID are not the same, you know, they, they could be completely different. Yeah. And so it's just, it's just learning and navigating this, this whole new set of, um, life and, and, uh, you know, day-to-day basics that you have to go through. And so with that, we've, uh, all the outpatient services I talked about before, we've transitioned all of those into a telehealth base as well. So you can come in face-to-face if you feel comfortable, but we also have telehealth for all of our outpatient services. But then even beyond that, there are so many apps out there that you can, you know, it's, there's the ask a therapist and (laughs) there's dozens and dozens of um, resources that anybody could use to access um, psychiatry. And, and that just wasn't, it was always there before COVID, but it just wasn't talked about as much. And so, you know, um, we educate our schools a lot. Like we're, we're really involved with um, every district um, in our catchment area, which is about 13 counties. Wow. And so, <laughs> so we're educating them about the telehealth adolescent psychiatric component, which is really beneficial if you live in Rockport or Beeville and you can't drive to take your child to outpatient services every day. They can do it on their phone. They could do it on their laptop because they're already doing school that way. You know, it just makes it that much easier. And so I, I just, I mean, we're so, we're so proud to offer this. We're, we're so passionate about it because it, it breaks down the barriers of transportation and, you know, monetary expenses and things of that nature. Yeah. That's, that's a, a tremendous help because I mean, you know, just a, a regular civilian like me, you can't help noting that, you know, a lot of people are really having a hard time with you know, how this year has been going. I mean, and a lot of it has to do with like mentally and emotionally, it's just been exhausting and draining. And so, I mean, do you, what, do you have any, you know, just kind of like basic, you know, tips for people whenever they're dealing with these kinds of, you know, stressors in their life? I mean, as of 2020. Sure, sure. Um, so not being a doctor, Emily. <laughs> hey, but it's not off the table. It's not off the table. <laughs> I am not yet um, a physician or psychiatrist. But what we, um, again, this is not this is not a disclaimer. Uh, or this is a disclaimer. I'm sorry. This is a disclaimer for <laughs> for me not being a licensed healthcare professional. But what we um, practice to our patients is um, journaling is such a big component. And, you know, you, you hear it talked about all the time and it's like, oh, journaling, uh, what am I going to do right about my day? But if you can get one sentence written down, you will be so surprised on how much is willing to like flow out of your body. You know, and there's, there's so much resistance to that, to, to not wanting to, to take that initiative, but putting the pen in your hand to a piece of paper and be willing to write one sentence about your day, whether it was the best part of your day or the worst part of your day or your goal for tomorrow, whatever it is, if you can get that out, there's, there's a, there's a release there. And, um, that's, 
that's one of the most important things. And we do that all day at the hospital is, is journaling. We give each patient when they come in their own special journal and that's what they write their goals in at the beginning of the day. We do a goals wrap up group at the end of the day. You know, did you meet your goal or how far away from you work from your goal? Were you, or, you know, what have you? And then you journal throughout the day. And then just like the other basic coping mechanisms, whether it's the deep breathing or the five, four, three, two, one, you know, um, all of those techniques are really helpful in decompressing and getting out of an anxiety induced situation. Yeah. And I think that those, I think people tend to dismiss these processes because they're so simple that, you know, they can't help feeling like, how could these possibly do anything? But I can attest to, because my schedule hasn't changed all that much. I still have to go to work every day, um, but still just can't help feeling residual anxiety or whatever yes. it may be. So I started journaling. So it's been like a little less than a month, but it has made a difference. I mean, huge. Uh, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> it really is. It's like, like you said, just putting that pen to paper. And even if it's just a ridiculous thought, it's like, as soon as it comes out, you're just kind of like, okay, like, I don't, you just accept it after that. Yeah. That's been my experience. So I, I really appreciate those, uh, those processes that you just, um, put out there because they are pr perfect in their simplicity actually. And so when did you transition into becoming the director of BHS outreach? So this is um, this is where divine intervention again came into play oh, in my life. I love these stories. <laughs> I really do. So, so I was the discharge planner, um, the only one. So sometimes they called me the discharge manager. I think that's what it says on my resume. But uh, <laughs> um, whichever title you use, that I was, I was taking the GRE and the GMAT, and I was going into grad school to be a licensed social worker and I was going to do it through Texas State and Texas State has a rolling cohort for two years so that that um that specific licensure doesn't open up for except for every two years kind of thing and so me knowing that it's like oh I'm gonna get my application in early I've got this I've got all my tests in all the things I get it in about uh, 37 days ahead of time at um, 38 days. The day before I submitted, they closed because they were at capacity. So, wow. So like, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to grad school. So what? And so what else am I good at? And I was like, well, I'm good at banking. I'm good at numbers. I'm good at analytics. I'm good at at all things numbers, really. Like it's it's just kind of my jam. Yeah, and you don't you so, don't hear that too much. So that's really awesome. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I went um, to apply at at TAMUCC uh, to get my master's in business administration to get my MBA, and uh, so that's what I did. And I got my MBA through. Uh, through work while I was working and it was I graduated and it was about a month later that my boss who was the one who hired me uh, who heard about me after the bank kind of thing she was my boss for both positions uh, corporate had come down and they were hiring you know an, a director of outreach 
to a couple that the, there's actually two of me. There's two directors of outreach and we split up our territory. And, um, because again, we have covered 13 counties. So it's kind of a, kind of a big geographical catchment area. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, my boss tells me corporate's coming down, corporate's down. And, uh, she tells them whatever about me. I don't know what she says enough to get me an interview. And so I get an interview and they hire me on the spot. Wow. <laughs> so now I'm the director of outreach. <laughs> so when, when was this, how long ago did this happen? That was in 2014. Wow. Yes. Right. 2004. Cause I graduated with my master's in 14. Yeah. So between 14 and 15, it was right about there. And so, um, yeah, so I've had eight years this July with the hospital total. Um, oh, happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah, it just <laughs> happened. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, celebrated my eight years with the hospital. And I just, um, it's been a whirlwind. And when you think about it, you know, back to the beginnings, it's it's really humbling because I was just a, a starry-eyed little little girl almost who, who just knew that, you know, my, my grandfather was the president, used to be the president of the bank that I worked at. He, he built that building. And then my mother was, the, she worked at that bank. And, um, so then I was like the third generation to work in this same building at this same bank. And so I had a lot of pride there and I wanted to do my best. And luckily all of that translated into me getting a job at the hospital. <laughs> what does your family think about all that? Because you definitely kind of broke the mold. I did. I did. Um, you know, they're, they're really happy. My parents are super supportive and everything. If I, if I, you know, called my mom tomorrow and said, I'm going to be a, a popper somewhere, you know, she'd be like, I hope you're the best popper there ever was. You know? <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, maybe my grandpa would say that. Maybe my mom would say, like, be a popper in Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, I love that. You yeah. Know, yeah. My, gra- my grandpa was just so supportive. And I just, I, I gush about him. Like, he's just, you know, he's the one who, of course, molded my mother. And, you know, my parents are amazing. But he's, he's so, I don't know. He's so, he just, like I said, he's my North star. I'm rambling now just about how great my grandpa is, which is kind of funny, but, um, you know, he always said every time I made an accomplishment or, you know, just graduating high school, he said, there's nothing you can do that would make me more proud than this moment. And, you know, then wow. I graduated college and he said, well, I was never more proud than, than when you were graduated high school. So I've done being more proud of you. <laughs> I love that. I also really like uh, when people have close relationships to their grandparents because I didn't really know mine. And so when I hear about whenever grandparents leave certain marks on their grandchildren, that that's incredible that you got to know him in that kind of way. And he got to see you grow. And he's still around? Yeah, yeah, no. He is. He okay. is. He's still he's still driving around and going to the donut shop every morning and uh you know, he treats my grandmother like a princess and and growing up, you know, they were just so hands-on and my my dad works offshore and so my mom was essentially a single mother to six kids half the year. Wow. Right? Can you imagine? No. Like, because my dad was offshore. So, you know, my parents were really like Emily's parents, like, you're going to do something, you're going to be involved. And so 
we were in dance and basketball and football and soccer and t-ball and everything else and band yeah (laughs) and so um you can imagine not one person can take all of those kids to practices so my grandparents you know stepped up a lot for that and because of that i mean i think my grandpa saw emily dance as much as me because he he never missed a game right em like he was at every single game in high school and college oh yeah even those hammerhead performances not the hammerhead performances (laughs) wait were you a cheerleader for hammerheads (laughs) no okay well what am i missing something (laughs) i mean Kind well at the beginning. It, it was short lived. Yeah, it was short lived. Uh, you have quite the interesting backstory. Uh, so, whenever you became the director of behavioral health services outreach, so how did that make your day to day change? So now you're having to actually leave the hospital, right? You're commuting and and uh, going to nearby or to the counties that you guys serve. Sure, sure. So it's a lot of windshield time, right? Uh, but also my driving factor, it's it's funny because I had a call with a mentor today talking about, uh, you know, what he does in Houston and, and contemplating, you know, my next move uh, career-wise. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, I, I feel like I can do anything because I believe so wholeheartedly in our company. And I, I mean, I bleed like I bleed HCA and I'm, I'm all about what we do and our mission and our values. And so it was really easy to translate that to be the director of outreach because a, I knew the schedule by heart for every single unit. Cause I worked it and I lived it and I breathed it for 12 hours a day. Yeah. You literally <laughs> worked your way up. I admire yeah, that yeah. so much. I really do. And then, um, and then when I did, um, uh, discharge planning, then I knew all the doctors and I knew exactly how, you know, how they treated their patients and how good they were with making sure that the follow through was there and that the patient followed their plan and that we did these post wellness calls to say, hey, you left the hospital 48 hours ago. How are you doing? Your appointments tomorrow. Are you going to make it? You know, all of those things. So it was really an easy transition because I already knew exactly how we were doing and you know why we were doing it and so i just i i went out into the community and i did that and i developed even these next level of relationships to where i'm friends with the chiefs of police in you know eight counties and not because we're chummy and whatever but it's like hey what can i do for you how can we make this better for you to get your patients from your county to yes. our hospital and, and yes. you know, how can I be of service to you? Yes, kind of absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, that to me is an important, important uh, relationship um, because, you know, people with mental health issues aren't necessarily criminals. And so, no. you know what I mean? So for you to be there and be right. like, hey, I'm a liaison. Let, let's see how we can, you know, get these people the help that they need. Um, so whenever you do outreach, are you hitting up schools? Are you hitting up communities specifically? Is it kind of all of the above? How does that work? Pretty much everything and anything in between. You know, you think about um, what a psychiatric patient looks like, right? And there's no, there's no um, description for that. It's everybody. It mm-hmm. could be my sister. It could be your sister. It could be 
your friend's dad, you know, everybody comes into contact with a psychiatric patient. So we really, we reach out to everybody just to make sure that they know what we do and how we do it and how to get somebody to us if they're in need. And so a lot of our big players are, of course, the schools and the police departments. And I will say, I, I completely applaud all of our, all of our police departments in every county in the coastal bend because they are so acutely aware of the uh, the need for you know psychiatric patients and you know how to handle that process and it's mm-hmm. not just a matter of you know when someone's acting you know outlandish or what have you in a grocery store what do you do you call the police and and the police are training themselves to be aware to come into a situation to know that this person isn't a danger to society necessarily but they're a psychiatric patient who's in need of either medication or intense therapy intensive mm-hmm. therapy you know, mm-hmm. what whatever the case is and so yeah it's really everything and anywhere in between yeah no i'm glad to hear that because uh yeah there those kinds of methods, you know, need to be taken for people who legitimately need the kind of help. And so what, how can people get a hold of you guys in order to get an assessment or to um, contact you about any services that you provide? So we, uh, we have one campus and we have one number and you'll get a live person. It's not an operator. It's not a robot or anything like that. Um, it's, it's our one receptionist, and that number is 361-986-8200. Mm-hmm. Again, that's 361-986-8200. And you can call and you can inquire about anything. If you want to say, hey, I need an appointment, we'll tell you either come in right now or you can make an appointment if you want to for a later date or you can inquire about services, whatever the case is. Absolutely. And so people can just walk in also if they want, right? Yes, and that's anytime. Anytime. Okay, fantastic. All right, guys, I really appreciate you being here with me tonight. Um, I appreciate everything that you're doing, the importance of uh, doing outreach for those, you know, uh, who could be experiencing mental health issues, um, how to get help and how they can get in contact with you guys. Um, you're just incredible. And I just think I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Emily, thank you. You were, you were a little quiet, but that's okay. You were just uh, admiring your friend and all of her accomplishments. You have such good questions. I'm just like, yes, yes, <laughs> ask that. I felt like I like I won a prize where I got to just listen to these two awesome women talk, and I'm like, y'all studio audience, and I'm just like in like awe of both of y'all. I'm so happy y'all got to talk and really share Courtney's work and what she does for the community even though she lives in rockport she definitely serves more than just those people and i'm just so proud of her she's come like an incredibly far journey and she's just a badass chick that i've always looked up to so love you love you 